So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Greetings out there, Bizzlers. I am The Bizzle, and welcome back to The Bizzlecast. About to get you into a great, wide-ranging nerd podcast with my boy, Matt Goisman, a.k.a. Maddie G. I just wanted to add a note here in the beginning. We recorded a few days ago, and since then, the Hugo Awards have happened, and Matt's favorite author, um, uh, N.K. Jameson, uh, won uh, along with tons of women and people of color, including Wonder Woman for movies. And we actually started this podcast with a talk about Jameson's book uh, in series, um, but we had a few sound difficulties, and since the Hugos hadn't happened yet, I figured, you know what, let's just jump right into a discussion about the awards and some of the other candidates on uh, the big screen and the small screen, since I'm more aware of that uh, than the books themselves. But definitely check out N.K. Jemison's series. John Scalzi was also up for his series. You should check that out. So without further ado, going to get into a discussion about the various sci-fi awards, Hugo's, Nebula's, and Saturn's. And from there, launch into talk about race, feminism, and diversity in Game of Thrones, Star Trek, Doctor Who, and more. So hope you enjoy, and let's jump into it. All right, ladies and gentlemen of of the Bizzlecast. Welcome back to the podcast. I am here with my guy, Matt Goisman, a.k.a. Matty G. What's your understanding of the difference between the Hugo and Saturns? Because initially, the Hugos are older, um, and the Saturns are way less public. It seems to me the Saturns are more like an industry award. Um, I know like J.J. Abrams, Spielberg, Brian Fuller, and so forth, Vince Gilligan, James Cameron are on the, the Saturn board, but there's way less information online about it um even though they do give out awards do you have any sense about the difference to me growing up the hugos always seemed uh, more either more prestigious or just more public they're um the people the people that award them is different the saturn awards are the academy of sci-fi fantasy and horror films Mm. the nebula awards which is another huge one is the sci-fi and fantasy writers of america Mm -hmm. and the hugo awards are organized uh by the world science fiction society so it's 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 sort of more of the people it seems like right i mean you know me i'm always reaching for movie comparisons but with these it's hard to make the comparisons um I mean, the Hugos have been There's around usually, since the 50s. I believe the Saturns, let me see, I'm looking right here, have been around since yeah, 73. Yeah, the, the Hugos, 1955. Mm-hmm. The Nebula's 10 years after that, well, 1166, and then 73 for mm-hmm. the Saturns. Mm-hmm. It seems like there is a membership group that votes on it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, people who are members of this, there's a convention where I guess they get together and, and vote on who they want to win. Uh, now, that has left them open to some uh, issues 
So one of the things that I've always liked about John Scalzi is one of the authors, quote unquote, not really an author, person he's picked a fight with is this guy named Vox Day, who is this like incel right wing troll asshole who hates any science fiction or fantasy that is about anything other than a white dude, basically. I mean, he really thinks genetically people who are not white are genetically inferior. He's given interviews about this. And Scalzi has picked fight after fight after fight with him. But Vox Day, a couple of years ago, organized a group known as the Rabid Puppies into jamming the uh, categories with authors that they thought best represented kind of their own political ends. Mm. And it was all just white people with super militaristic, violent sci-fi. And I, the Hugos were so pissed off that they just didn't, uh, they had several people not accept nominations on them. I think actually George R. R. Martin refused his nomination in his category because it had been corrupted and they finally just canceled a couple of awards. Hmm. Uh, so there are flaws in all of this, but so th- this will be a great transition because uh, the Hugo nominees for both long form and short form on screen dramatic um, presentations is something we can definitely bridge to in film uh, film screen and, and TV screen as well. I will mm-hmm. say, man, um, in doing my research for and then doing my V for Vendetta commentary uh, with Natalie Portman, um, it was really interesting that as much as Natalie was bashed and continues to be bashed in some circles for, you know, the prequels somehow blamed for the things people don't like, which is pathetic. Maybe this will come back with Batwoman in tons of categories. Maybe we just ignore all the fucking asshat losers out there. But what was interesting was... Impotent asshat losers. Let's yeah, be clear about that. Absolutely. What's very interesting is six months after Revenge of the Sith, let us be clear... The way George uh, Lucas wrote the character of Padme in Revenge of the Sith is one of the most ultimate extreme women in refrigerator disempowering characters of all time. To blame Natalie for that is beyond, is not only insane, but a lack of understanding of how film writing works and so forth. Nevertheless, she was nominated. I blame everybody involved yeah. with those prequels. Yeah. I think that was a... Yeah. The the writing job in Revenge of the Sith was extraordinarily lazy, especially Horrible. with regard to Padme's character. Yeah. But that was an in, indifferently acted performance uh-huh. by her. And I don't – she doesn't get off the hook for that. That's a bad performance on a shitty script. Okay. No well, one looks good. Anyways, point being – it's not a coincidence that her family and brain trust, which is extremely smart, has protected her since she was a kid, gotten her great roles, nominations, and a win with Black Swan and lots of other good roles. Not a coincidence, View for Vendetta, which is a genre movie, but is very dark, realistic, and grounded, was acclaimed in both nerds and non-nerd circles, came out a mere six months after Revenge of the Sith, got right. her nominations in all the major science fiction awards, and won her a Saturn Award for her performance as Evie in that movie, you know, right. which is... Is very interesting so it's you know it's not like you fail once in the minds of the nerds and you never get another chance but on top of that it's not like the people who are voting on all of these uh, are the same people that are loud on twitter and the fact that get out these aren't the mtv awards these these awards are generally given out by people who actually produce science Mm -hmm. fiction and fantasy for a living well, and, and to bridge here, if you look at the six long, uh, the six basically, let me just call it what it is. The six movie awards for Hugo Awards and the six TV awards, 
The majority of them are Get Out, The Shape of Water, Wonder Woman, Black Mirror, Doctor Who, and The Good Place in Star Trek Discovery, all of which are incredibly feminist, progressive, and, you know, uh, you know, and and, uh, other descriptions you might say. And so, you know, and and again, though, I think the Hugos are perceived by readers and and consumers as as the most, I'm not going to say prestigious, but the one people hear about most. So, again, it's, it's not always correlational to you know kind of the middle america view on these things right well i think people who don't already know what the hugos are don't know what they are and don't care in general i think most often when i hear somebody talked about who's a famous sci-fi or fantasy writer they're described as a quote-unquote hugo and nebula award winner so i don't know if the hugos are better than the nebulas i think they're both pretty prestigious i've certainly read essays by people who are on the Hugo committee who say the Hugos are the best. And I'm pretty sure if I talked to Nebula people, they would defend the Nebulas as the best. I think the Saturns are thought of as more of a mass media award. You know, th- those tend to be for movies and TV, not, not books. Or if they are for books, that's not what they're known for. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's bridge here. So Hugo words coming up, best dramatic presentation, long form Blade Runner 2049, Mostly white dudes. Uh, get out. Uh, by the way, Bizzle All Hesley- black dudes. Yeah. Well, no, actually, it's not all black dudes. It's one black It doesn't dude. matter. Jordan well, Peele's the two. brain trust behind it, so that's the important yeah. thing. Yeah. So guys, and he should win. Yeah, he should win. Guys, me and Matt had a very long uh, conversation the other night, which you are not privy to, and you will not hear about Get Out, but we both agree it's a brilliant movie and deserving of all the awards that it gets. So that's great to see. Shape of Water, which has... It's kind of split reaction, but I'm happy for Guillermo del Toro. And it was written by a, a woman as well, Vanessa Taylor, with him. Um, obviously, Star Wars The Last Jedi is very controversial, to say the least. Thor Ragnarok somehow is in this category. And then Wonder Woman, which is, again, is all white dudes other than Patty Jenkins directing, obviously. Uh, thoughts about those nominations? And Gal Gadot. Well, no, I'm just talking about the, you know, the, the nominees, the, the writers and, and producers. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, yeah, absolutely. So what are my thoughts about this? My thoughts mm-hmm. are Get Out is the best movie produced to the 21st century, and mm-hmm. it should win every single award it's nominated for. I, no other movie has tapped into the zeitgeist of racial divisiveness in this country like that. Mm-hmm. And it's also an extremely funny, dark frightening piece of genre filmmaking so no nothing should beat it there no other thing is better written directed or acted Hmm. um okay um let me see i don't (laughs) want to enough no 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 Uh, well some of these other movies actually it would be very interesting discussion um very few modern genre movies have me split in my own head the way Blade Runner 2049 uh, is, and it, it continues to be on repeat viewings. What are your thoughts about Blade Runner 2049 as it's uh, nominated um, at the top for Best Dramatic Presentation, Long Form for Hugo Awards? I mean, Blade Runner 2049 feels like a long time ago. Um, the plot is stupid. Like, I really just did not care about more fucking robot rebellion stuff. I, I don't give a shit. And I think adding Word. all that plot stuff to it made it dumber. Um, I think Denis Villeneuve did a pretty good job at times, but so I watched Blade Runner in the context of a class at Wesleyan about eschatology, the, the end of the world and the rapture. And 
in that context, we talked about Blade Runner as this idea that it is a post-rapture world where all of the good people, which are basically the all the rich people, but they're the same thing in America, have been raptured away to these utopian other planets, and you are left with a dark, empty, sad world where the people are so dark and sad and empty that they need a test that they don't even do very well to figure out which people are actually people and which are robots. Hmm. Like we're so beaten down by being left behind uh, and not getting raptured up that we're indistinguishable from robots and we need te- and we need tests that don't really work to figure out who's a robot and who isn't. And you see that when at the end the scientist takes the um, Trish I th- or Tris I think is her name the the robot who's sentient and I believe is like a hooker into the Brill building and it's this massive building and he's the only person who lives Darryl there Hannah. and it's just yep. yeah Daryl Hannah and it's just dark and empty and he even says something like there's plenty of living space these days mm-hmm. so then Denis Villeneuve makes Blade Runner twenty forty nine and it's just every scene is jam-packed with people Mm. where did all these people come from Mm. in this world that the own text of the movie says there was some additional disaster that hit like 30 years after the events of the original blade runner you know la is suddenly swarming with people he goes into that um into the trash heap when he's looking for uh yeah i always call it think of him as morgan from uh walking dead uh, lenny james i think is that actor mm-hmm. and suddenly there's a million kids under this trash heap his own apartment building is so full of people mm-hmm. that they just stand around in the the stairwells in the hallways and to me that's emblematic of not quite getting the tone of the movie right because he just jam-packed a world that was supposed to be empty mm-hmm. by design and he just jam-packed it full of stuff Hmm. Um, I liked all of the women, though, in the movie. I especially liked the actress who played Joy. I thought she that was a really interesting portrayal by her. Um, was the that weird, his, AI, his AI love? Yeah, his AI girlfriend. I, mm-hmm. I thought she was... She was sort of the sexier but less good acting Felicity Jones. <laughs> yeah, she was good, though. Yeah. She was very talented. Yeah. Um, you, you, but, but, but that would be a character that would normally... I actually have a response to you because my criticisms are almost the opposite of what you have, which is hilarious. And that's why I love okay. having you on the podcast. But that would be a character that I would... Let me put it this way. When I was thinking about talking with you about Blade Runner 2049, I didn't know which way you would go on that character because she's a slave, essentially. Yeah, she is, but she's maybe also not a person. So I don't know that yeah. I care. Like, and it's the it's the Neo thing where you know the human protagonist in one case uh, Neo in the other case um, Ryan Gosling is less human and emotional than the AI slash robots, right? And that's kind of the point, but also weird. I mean, Ryan Gosling to me is the weak link of the movie. It's not his fault, but he's completely emotionless. The movie, yes, she lights up the screen. It doesn't really pick up for me for Harrison with Harrison until Harrison Ford. Excuse me. I, I know that's a cliche, but honestly, right. I just it didn't light up for me. It's funny that you say that, man, because my remembrance of the movie is the long extended emptiness scenes in nowhereness with trash or even less than trash. And for me, actually, 
I, I get what you're saying about the popu- the population of it, but the the opening scenes of the original Blade Runner of sort of future Chinatown feel more real and lived in and populated in sort of the Firefly sense than anything that they try and project in a Blade Runner 2049. To me, it feels very empty, quiet, and alone, and that's just Villeneuve's style. I mean, and I don't really... I liked Arrival way less than most people. I don't love I the original... I don't love the original Sicario. I'm a huge fan of, of, of Taylor Sheridan from Wind River and Hell or High Water, and, and he wrote the script directed by Villeneuve of Sicario. Sicario is by, by far my least favorite of those three movies because I just don't like his sparse style, and I could easily cut 20 minutes out of Blade Runner 2049, and I think it would flow better and not be any less artistic. I think it's the masturbatory French thing. Sorry, guys. I'm a dumb American. But French directors sometimes tend to be a little masturbatory with with some of these scenes. But I will say, man, it did look beautiful, and I was thrilled when they announced that Paul Ing- Inglis, who's the art director, is the primary right. art director on Episode Nine with J.J. Abrams on Star Wars. I think that will be really fucking cool because there was some great visual stuff. I definitely like the twist. Well, I love the yeah, stuff in Vegas. I loved mm-hmm. all of the broken statues, half covered in sand. I thought that was really cool, and that felt weird and empty and interesting um i liked kind of the opening setup with dave batista where it's just the two of them on this scene. farm great scene great um, yes you know he looks like leave schreiber in that opening scene dave batista he's great he kills it yeah he's awesome yeah in terms of the 20 minutes to cut out we could start by cutting out literally everything uh with jared leto who i do not hate i i like him as an actor i've i liked him in american psycho and i liked him in uh, the Dallas Buyers Club. I don't have the like the just bloodlust for him that some people seem to, but his character and his portrayal of that character doesn't make sense and doesn't work in the context of the rest of the movie. Like it's like he's in a different movie. Could be honest. And I with, don't think could be honest with you. Any of it. Yeah. Let me be honest. <clears throat> First of all. If you hate him as the Joker, that's fine. And let's be honest, the announcement that the worlds of DC, which is replacing DCEU somehow, and they're going to have right. the multiverse, they, they can claim that's because it's from the comics, and that's awesome, but it's ultimately because they wanted Joaquin Phoenix to replace him as the Joker. However... I think it's because they the wait, DCEU I, is... Uh, sorry. Can I just finish? Yeah. The problems of Suicide Squad are so beyond his portrayal of the Joker. I know for sure they filmed and promised him and they were going to have way more Joker and way more him as Joker. I'm not saying it would have been better, but the problems of Suicide Squad were way beyond him. And the problems in Blade Runner with him are completely writing in my... You know me, I'm an actor-centrist guy, man, so feel free to shoot me down. And I did not like his character in Blade Runner 2049. In fact, it was irrelevant it wasn't needed and that was great what was brilliant about the original fucking blade runner was that you didn't know who the bad guy was having a traditional bad guy i think was a major weakness and so i blame the writing and the structure of the film not jared leto that's me personally and i'm not a jared leto apologist other than you know my so-called life i i really have no you know stake in this game but i definitely felt like this was an underwritten or unnecessary character go ahead yeah there's also uh, one of the recent 30 Seconds to Mars songs I actually really like, so whatever. Uh, it is true that his character is written weirdly and conceived weirdly, but there are choices he is making as an actor in terms of how he holds his posture, how he re- uh, the intonations and emphases mm-hmm. he uses when he speaks 
that all don't work. And those are all choices he made. Now, maybe he's doing the best he can, but that's not good. I mean, I, there, he is definitely partly responsible. I've never seen Suicide Squad, but I watched some YouTube clips of him. That is some weird choices to make with playing the Joker. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. uh, even he, if he he is a young method actor, and and young method is he actors, young? I don't is he that young? Well, no, but I'm saying that's... compared to the classic, like for example, Joaquin Phoenix was very split in terms of people's I mean, opinion. Forty six. Oh, Leto is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say, compared to, to Joaquin Phoenix, like, for example, I remember when Gladiator c- came out, I was like, Joaquin Phoenix, I was like, this is horrible. But watching it now, I love it. And Joaquin Phoenix has totally come into his own. Okay, maybe Jared Leto won't get to that point. Maybe maybe he's too old, and I, I was reaching with that. But I was going to say, with method actors, sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and sometimes yeah, but it, I don't think yeah. what Jared Leto does is actually method. No, I'm just like, talking about his brain. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying he's hitting on it, but in his brain, that's what's good. He, that's how he, he sees He also fails to use condoms to his... Okay. All right, co-actors, okay. All which right. is just a fucked up, stupid okay. thing right. to do. All right, buddy, I, I've got, I've got, I've got a good, I've some transition here, and we we'll get to television. I do want to talk Star Trek, by the way, man, but I'm going to save that to the end because that's a low hanging fruit, pure speculation, but also joy about Patrick Stewart. But we're going to save that to the end, okay? Okay. So pa- Paul Inglis, again, art director of Blade Runner 2049, big fan. I loved how it looked. It was too washed out, but you could tell he, they were getting great artistry, three-dimensionality. I-, I-, I did love the look of it, even if they held on shots too long. But two other things that he's a primary art director on, man, are A... Mm-hmm. Children of Men, which you know is one of my favorite movies and is the Mm -hmm. exhibit A for how to do a modern, dark, dystopia movie that nevertheless moves at a great pace and gets you watching over and over again as depressing and dark as it is. And I will continue to compare things like Logan and Mad Max and so forth and Blade Runner to that movie. And B, Game of Thrones. Paul Inglis is one of the primary art directors on Game of Thrones. And Matt, I've become well-known even to podcasters who I have on who are better known than me, I'll have on for the first time, and we never really talked beyond Star Wars before. They know I, I trash Game of Thrones. So apparently, I'm becoming well-known for my trashing of Game of Thrones. That being said, I am now through four seasons of Game of Thrones. I am very prepared to catch up before the final season or two or whatever is going on. But I wanted to latch on to something you said earlier, and I wanted to talk about Game of Thrones. Because you know how we talked about Lord of the Rings and about yeah. the... Um, uh, not the positives and negatives, but like, what if we had put black actors in the Lord of the Rings movies? Because right. that's clearly not the case in the, in the original books. But I think we right. agreed that if they had introduced people of color in a natural way early on in the Lord of the Rings movies, mm-hmm. in subtle ways, it, it could have worked. But people kind of forgive it because of the historical and literary context. Game of Thrones does throw occasion- some people of color and some Asian women and so forth into it. So let's. Right. Do you mind if we talk Game of Thrones? I'm not going to bash it. it yeah, I, I generally want to talk with you on the podcast about where you think Game of Thrones is, the fact that okay. they keep stretching out the seasons and shortening them. It's causing major film problems. It caused major film problems with the Han Solo movie with Amelia Clark. It, it caused huge problems with the reshoots they're doing with the Dark Phoenix movie because Sophie Turner is the lead character of Dark Phoenix of the X-Men right. movie. And because they're moving in a new direction and focusing more on the Deadpool Logan stuff and bringing it into the, the oh, whatever, the Avengers universe, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of... Re- I'm not 
not going to go into it. But the bottom line is, they're doing research on the Dark Phoenix movie, not because it's bad, but because they just need to do different things. And actually, Disney has said, if Fox isn't capable of releasing the Dark Phoenix movie, we will make sure that it comes out. Because whatever you think of X-Men Apocalypse, I've recently been on the record strongly that that movie is underrated. And I still love the X-Men franchise, and I'm glad, but I am glad Brian Singer's gone. We've got new blood. Um, I, I'm excited for it. But the Game of Thrones is causing problems for everybody else because of how important, valuable, and watched it is. So where do you see Game of Thrones right now as a show and as sort of a cultural franchise? And of course, the announcement that there's going to be, what, two, three, four, five spinoffs of it as well. Well, we don't, they keep saying that. HPL was just bought by somebody else. So I, I don't want to talk about what might happen. Oh, and, after. I'm sorry, Matt, really quickly. And the fact that Weiss and the double D's, as they call them, Weiss and uh, David. Benioff uh, and Weiss. Yeah, have been basically recruited by uh, Lucasfilm indefinitely to do Star Wars movies. So that's interesting as well. Go ahead. Asked like 10 different questions all at once there. Yeah. I, I I mean, where where, where you are with from- Game of Thrones right now in the, in, in the culture as you see it. I like it. I'm looking forward to the last season. I think the shorter but longer, ep- the fewer but longer episodes, like thing that people are mad about, is a really overrated distinction. I think you're going to wind up with, I agree with you. A- about the same total number of hours of television. So if the fact that it's six mini movies instead of twelve oh or ten I so hour long dramas, I I don't quite care what the i don't see what the difference is i so um, agree with you just look at jessica jones season two i'm not gonna go there keep going so you know i, I game of thrones is gonna go out however it's gonna go out i think it'll be visually you know the last season is gonna have zombie ice dragons and giant battles i think it's gonna be quite spectacular in the literal sense that it's gonna be a spectacle mm. will it be dramatically the best season Probably not. I mean, the last season dramatically was kind of on the weak side. There was some really weird character stuff in the middle that didn't make a lot of sense, that took too long, that got people killed unnecessarily, and it ended well, but it kind of stumbled a fair amount in the middle. Um, but I think it's still going to it's going to wind up being fine. It's going to go out on a I don't know, hard to think it's going to have a happy ending, but I think it'll have a conclusive ending and then we'll get on with our lives i mean i mean can i ask you a more specific question yes please because i don't know how to answer yeah no no i just wanted to get the conversation going (laughs) so um again you know i I, i've never bashed game of thrones for thrills shits giggles listens whatever you know i don't have that many listens to really think that i have the power to manipulate anything like that it was just because i really love the seat the show through uh you know, mid late season three and then the killing of the Starks, the red wedding spoiler alert. Um, and then it just felt nihilistic, but also like I didn't have a lot of characters to hold on to. And, you know, for example, going back to Sophie Turner, I think she's an incredibly talented actress and it's just hard for me to watch, you know, actresses and characters like her be tortured and raped and so forth, whatever I get this, but, but and the show took a lot of shit for that, but it is well agreed by the readers. We just talk about the books it is well agreed by the readers that the first three Game of Thrones books are well better than the fourth and fifth. And so my question to you is, do you think the show, in terms of your just personal opinion, straight subjectivity, 
followed the books in quality in terms of the first three seasons being the best and then being kind of up and down since then? Or do you think it actually has had some some nice jumps of quality since then? And the fact that George R. Martin has really devoted himself to the show has shown quality in the show and maybe way even the books haven't. Well, I think you have to be careful in the setup to that question because George R. R. Martin has nothing to do with the show anymore and he is not right. Like he's not writing. I, I, I put it at 50 50 that he ever finishes the game of Thrones books at this point. I think he is incredibly frustrated that somebody else's vision of his characters has supplanted his own as the version that everybody knows because the TV show is much more popular and much more penetrating into the larger pop culture than the books were. I mean, it is overtaken the books in terms of popularity and larger cultural commentary. And that pisses him off. And that's why all of his attention is going to Night Flyers right now, which is this show on sci-fi based off of some novella he wrote a long time ago. That's probably going to go three seasons and get canceled like literally every other sci-fi channel show ever pretty much um what happened because for a while he was pumped to not be writing the books and working on the show i think one i think the fan base started to get greedy you know they started to get it went from being oh, eager for the next town book. the nerds got greedy no you don't say <laughs> yeah right you know it I, there was some convention like eight not eight like four years ago where Neil Gaiman performed a song called George R. R. Martin is not my bitch. And it was basically chewing out all of the fans for demanding George R. R. Martin finish and getting mad at him for not finishing sooner. I mean, Pat Rothfuss has talked about this and he only has written two of those King killer books, but he said, I wrote the first one over eight years. My editors encouraged me to get the second one out much sooner. And it was a much more stressful writing experience and that's left me with not a lot of interest in mm-hmm. writing the third one. And so I don't know if we're ever <laughs> going to get the conclusion of that which, series. Which is, sorry, as a side, it's so funny because not only has he not finished the third one, but the tabletop uh, Lords of Waterdeep episode, which came out, what, three or four years ago? Will Wheaton specifically s- insults him yeah, for, not finish, for not writing the third book. <laughs> Right. And that was like four years ago. But then you see the audiobook for the second King Killer book. It's like 42 hours. It's like Rothfuss. Spread it out, buddy. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Now he's working with Lin-Manuel and they're making a TV series. I guess what I'm right. saying is I, I, I respected that Martin seemed to say I, the, the TV show is giving me more creative freedom and, and feedback. And it seems like Rothfuss is, is more aware of it. I guess Martin is an older generation, right? Rothfuss is more kind of in touch with... What? I think they're probably contemporaries, and both they both are products of the post Robert Jordan fantasy world. But mm-hmm. I, I think I think if anything, what Martin liked about Game of Thrones, the TV show at first, is that he didn't have to do so much. That mm-hmm. Benioff and Weiss had this very clear vision of what they wanted the show version of these books to be, and we talked about on previous episodes about how unlike a lot of shows where there are these large like writers' rooms sharing all the scripts the two of them have written about 70 or 80 percent of all of the episodes and they've directed about the same so it's really their vision driving it and i think martin kind of likes that he can get paid without having to do a lot of that work by the way rothfuss is 25 years younger than martin go ahead really yeah 45 45 to 69 
that that's sad. The two of them they don't look to be the 25 years difference in age. Well, when Rutherford was on uh, Waterdeep, he was talking about his two-year-old. So, you know, I figured he'd look, yeah, right. he looked with, but the bottom line is, you know, the fifth um, uh, Song of Ice and Fire book, oh, is it Dance with Dragons? Was that, that's correct. Was 2011. So, yeah. And, Seven years. And, and look, Matt, I'm not just saying this. I've read the first Lord, uh, Game of Thrones book. I do not know any oh, hard... I do not know any hardcore Game of Thrones book lover that thinks four and five are as good as one, two, and three. And this was before the show took off. So there was a dip in quality already. And he's already talking about writing other series, science fiction series. He's been talking a lot about Lucas and Star Wars recently. He wants to do science fiction. Right. Is this just a case of a, of a great mind that just got trapped in something that that where you can't feel bad for him because the success because of all the money and fame. But at the same time, he's feeling trapped about not being able to do other things. I think he's feeling creatively stifled mm-hmm. for sure. And again, I don't want to go too far into what I think he's thinking. Cause who I have never met him. No, but, but I certainly think it's gotta be frustrating to be a naturally creative person and maybe feel like Everything that is in your life is devoted to one single story mm-hmm. that when you conceived of back in the mid 90s, which I believe is when A Game of Thrones, the first book came out, you had no idea it was going to chew up the next 25 years of your life. I mean, think about that. A quarter of your life spent on a single story and a single group of characters. That's got to be pretty frustrating if you're somebody who for a living makes shit up and has an expansive mind. Mm. So mm-hmm. in terms of like book quality versus TV show quality, if you've read the whole first book, you got one up on me. Cause I've read 50 pages of a game of Thrones, got bored and quit. I've just, never felt an, an urge yeah. to reread it. I just think it's interesting that the, you know, quote unquote, hardcore fans with the books criticize the four and five want more books aren't happy with the show what i mean if i were a fan of game real real fan of game of thrones i would want him to focus on one or the other the real tragedy quote unquote he's to not me. he has nothing to do with the tv shows anymore right right well what he i'm did. saying what i'm saying is if i was just a fan of the property i would right. want the focus of quality regardless of his involvement to be on one or the other and so while i will never love this show i am totally mm-hmm. fine with the show being the thing that is both loved by more people and seems to be getting again since book three of the books higher quality reviews in terms of awards and you know what i mean in artistic achievements this is just me on the outside looking in sure i think the thing that might be pissing some people off is so one podcast i listen to is binge mode which is hmm. uh two people connected to the ringer which is bill simmons uh website and series of podcasts their names are jason concepcion mallory rubin the first episodes of it were all about game of thrones it was like they would watch every single episode going back to episode one seven years ago no, or whenever that show started full disclosure even though we both love simmons i don't listen to this as much as you but full disclosure you have said other than game of thrones they are not into genre stuff generally the binge mode people the ringer that's, the ringer people the other ringer people yeah that's correct oh, okay. they're not as into sci-fi the binge mode guys right now it's all about harry potter okay so much so that i'm going to go to la to visit some friends of mine in december hmm. and i'm insisting on going to harry potter land because now I kind of want to check it out and 
I have no idea how much longer we're going to have a country. So All right. Who are you and what have you done with Matt Goisman? <laughs> Why? Because I like Harry Potter? No, I'm just kidding, man. I just but did a Harry books. Potter commentary. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just fucking right. Well, I don't like the movies that much, but I the books are yeah. great. I mean, no, the books are great. I just like the Prisoner of Azkaban movie. The, most of the movies, yeah, most, are too much. Most people like the Prisoner. That's maybe the best. Um, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what binge, they're binge, binge, about the What's it called? Binge, binge worthy? binge mode binge mode okay go ahead and so their biggest complaint and i don't have i have to take their word on it because i've never read the books is the books are fan are like pure fantasy the tv show is kind of a political thriller that has actually shirked a lot of the hardcore fantasy elements and that is what's frustrating them especially in the wake of there being almost literally no other fantasy on tv there's like the magicians on sci-fi and that's basically it for real like wizards and dragons and knights fantasy and so that i think is what does frustrate fans of the books is that the tv show has all the characters and all the plot mm. but like the king of the of the zombies mm-hmm. is this guy called the night king i think and he's like an actual character in the books and in the tv show they've done almost nothing with explaining who or what he is that's the example they keep going back to and mm-hmm. so they want the fantasy to be less window dressing and aesthetic mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. actual like core of the show in a way that it is in the books. And yes, so that's their complaint. And sure. I have no idea if other readers feel that way or not. Sure. And this is where we're coming from as nerds and genre guys. And I want to move on to some other topics, but I will say as one final pushback here towards that particular view, what's made game right. of Thrones, the most valuable television property in the world and driving, you know, the o- almost standard of $10 million an episode now that we're seeing right. the new John Favreau Star Wars series. They're specifically saying, you know, we're, do- we're spending Game of Thrones money on this, you yeah. know, like, th- like that's the standard is right. people like my friends Eric Herman and Smiley who are not into fantasy or science fiction whatsoever right. and love the shit out of Game of Thrones. And so I sympathize so much with the lack of fantasy on TV and I don't like the magicians and I want more fantasy and I'm actually excited for Lord of the Rings billion dollar project on Amazon. However, sure. it's undeniable, Matt, as we finish up Game of Thrones that the people driving the Game of Thrones industry are mostly non-fantasy people. That's exactly right. And so what you're left with is our fans of the books who are probably more fans of hard fantasy Mm -hmm. and they feel like they're getting ignored and the books that they have already read probably multiple times and know every detail of like fans do, they're not getting any more of that except like short stories and stories set 2000 years behind, you know, before Jon Snow was ever born and they're getting all this placating stuff that's not good enough Mm -hmm. and that's what's driving their frustration is that Mm -hmm. they're not getting the fantasy from the show Mm -hmm. and they're not getting more of the fantasy in the because they're not getting more of the books i think that's why they're feeling this crunch that they're being pressed in from both sides uh and that's probably kind of what's getting on their nerves yeah and you know this is the advantage. Again, I don't want to get into this giant discussion here, but this is the advantage of Star Wars: is that fans want that. 
We want the Jedi from 3,000 years ago. Like, we're pumped for that shit. That's why they brought the Game of Thrones guys on. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why Ryan Johnson's new movies are going to be set in a different time and place. They're already in all of the expanded literature, and this will be my final point. In all the expanded literature, they're going outside the galaxy finally. They're going to different times and places. They're introducing time travel. They're introducing, you know, uh, connections to, to many years ago, as I said. And mm-hmm. what's crazy, man, is, you know, I, I've talked ad nauseum about how you know uh, of my major contributors you Brittany, and alistair all love the last jedi which is hilarious because the so-called hardcore fans are so split on it to say the least and but but even the hardcore fans whether they want to admit it or not are implicitly acknowledging by their criticisms what they like and don't like in modern star wars that what ryan johnson did by saying we need to move on from the past we need to kill the past and move on is what everybody wants whether they want you know whether they like the last jedi or not which i i know you will appreciate because me and you specifically talked about that on our last jedi podcast about killing right the past. i yeah i'm not entirely sure that is what a lot of these super angry star no, no, wars but, fans think i think they yeah. want more of the same well i mean as i keep saying if you look at the money Jin urso cassian and k2so destroyed han solo lando and chewy at the box office right so I'm not saying that's not what I want. And yeah. I'm pretty sure Bob mm-hmm. Iger and Mike and uh, Alan Horn are like, yeah, no, let's do mo- movies set in the future of Star Wars with minority cast. Those seem to make a lot more money. But again, it's these, you know, we're we're talking about. Well, no, this will be a good transition a because Star Wars has announced a ton of of TV shows. I want to talk Star Trek. I want to talk Doctor Who and some of this other stuff. This is a great transition, which is the lesson Expand- of. Yeah, the lesson of Rogue One is it's not that we don't want stuff within the time and even loosely around stories that we know, but we want new characters and new stories and new storytelling. We don't just want han solo's name explained to us and that's not what han solo the movie was about and actually the han solo movie was quite great and i'm actually really looking forward to owning and rewatching. it's it's fun and the actors are awesome uh, speaking of game of thrones amelia clark is spectacular yeah, yeah, in yeah, it. Clark. um but also donald glover who uh, you know i i gotta get to atlanta at some point man i mean it's it's like the one show i'm almost embarrassed that i haven't watched at this point yeah but, I'm, the, I'm in the same boat yeah but um uh, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, the, the, what worked, I know you don't love Rogue One, but what worked about Rogue One was that the, the Death Star plans was the least important part of the film in terms of the watching experience. Yeah, we talked about this, that the mm-hmm. pitches of the two right. movies are different, that Rogue One pitched itself as a war movie that was set in the rebellion era of Star Wars, and then the Death Star plans were just sort of window dressing. The problem, <clears throat> excuse me, the problem I had with Solo was it just pitched itself as a solo origin story? The, like it's literally called Solo, yeah. and it's all of the all of the clips and trailers and shit. Where here's how we met Chewie. Here's how we got right. the Falcon. It, None of this yeah. stuff I care about mm-hmm. at all. E- even a, I don't give a shit at all. I don't mm-hmm. care what the Castle Run is. Yeah, Not and, even and a I'm bit. the guy, and I'm the guy who likes that movie and criticizes all the things you said. If they had trimmed the fat on twenty percent of the explanation of his past, it would have been way better. Um, and but Matt, here's here's something that came up in my commentaries of Empire and Return of the Jedi, which you can relate to, which is 
Lawrence Kasdan wrote Solo, and not only did Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote Empire and Return of the Jedi, write Solo, it was a condition right. for writing uh, Force Awakens that he'd be able to write Solo. And so, normally you would never, ever, ever promote a film based on the writer, and they still wouldn't, they would have to go through it indirectly, but the fact that they didn't even try and educate the public and be like, hey, you know that character Han Solo from those great Star Wars movies, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi? Yeah, that character was basically invented you know explored brought to his full potential by the guy who did this movie and this was the vision of han solo all along they didn't really educate people as you point out through the marketing materials you know and 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 how it was presented to the public so whatever who cares but the point is the john favreau pitch um right to to disney happened you know john favreau has had a long history with disney going back to iron man let's be honest we can praise john uh john we can praise uh, joss Joss Whedon. whedon all day long for the Avengers, but without Iron Man in 2008, we don't have the MCU. Yeah, we talked about this in the Infinity War commentary right, that so, Favreau invented the tone Marvel is still using. But 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 just the the balls and the confidence and the vision and you know, and he pitched the Star Wars thing before the new stuff even came out and so even though this new Favreau show, which has, you know, they're saying you know, Game of Thrones like, budget, 10 episodes, $100 million, blah blah blah, takes place after Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that they aren't going to hopefully do the Rogue One rather than the solo method of, yes, we kind of know the time period and some of the side characters, but it's mostly going to be new characters and new stories that we don't know about. That that would be a mistake, but I don't think they're doing that. I, I certainly, I can only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. That is my preference. I don't want to see somebody else playing young Luke. I don't want to see somebody else playing or not young. Well, he is young at the end of Jedi yeah. still. I don't want to see somebody else playing younger Leia or younger Solo. These char- char- these characters are inextricable from the actors who played them in the original movies. And I think one of the biggest problems with Solo is simply that when people say they like Han Solo, the character, they just mean they like Harrison Ford, yep. who is one of the most generally well-liked and popular actors Ever like I, I've never met somebody exactly. who does who said they hate Harrison Ford. There are plenty of people he's not their favorite actor, but nobody dislikes Harrison Ford. Have you ever met one? So a movie about Han Solo that Harrison Ford isn't in, nobody's interested in that because they really just only ever liked Harrison Ford. Absolutely, um, and that's why an, a, a lower key, lower budget character study Obi Wan movie with Ewan McGregor would do great because sure, whatever you think of the prequels, for the most part, people love Ewan McGregor's portrayal of Obi Wan, and to bridge that with a character study on Tatooine with sort of a lower budget, lower stakes movie, but with Ewan McGregor, who is the portrayal that most people grew up with. Let's be honest, man. Let's be honest. Like we're not super old men, but most young Star Wars fans grew up with Ewan as obi-wan kenobi and that would be amazing and it's not a coincidence that you know they're starting to release more stuff having to do with you anyway okay sorry we're getting on star wars i'm getting off the subject sorry of course correction here i apologize people you know how i am about star wars so matt more tv shows okay here we go doctor who yes you are a much bigger doctor who fan than me yes um I thought it was going to be doing more of a series this fall. I'm not sure it's going to happen for reasons I don't want to specifically talk about on the podcast. Um, but uh, 
I am actually excited. I've seen some of the David Tennant. I've seen some of the Peter Capaldi. It's normally too cheesy for me, even with actors I like, but there's something between Jodie Whittaker and the tone that makes me think I maybe will be able to stay with this particular Doctor Who. So what are you thinking currently about the new Doctor Who series, if, if you have thoughts about it? Um, well, the combination of the people running the show now of Jodie Whittaker as the new uh doctor and chris chibnall as the new showrunner so they worked together on Broadchurch, which i loved the first season of was pretty uninterested in the second season and skipped the third season but i did really like the tone and the style the two of them brought together uh so i'm i was gonna watch doctor who no matter who was recast uh i think this is an interesting choice to make i think it's certainly Every scene I've ever seen, every shot, like image I've ever seen of a star- Doctor Who convention tells me Doctor Who has a huge female fan base, maybe even more than men. And I think it's about damn time that they flip the script on these on this particular gender dynamic where it's for once it's the woman who's the doctor and it's the man who is the companion. You know, they've only occasionally the two of them fall in love like david Tennant and billy piper's companion character rose they fall in love but that's the only sexual relationship it's not even sexual romantic relationship between a doctor and companion in the whole history of the show kind of i mean the the 85 movie uh that was like the eighth doctor's only appearance yeah kind of they're, they're romantically involved but generally it's a celibate relationship so why can't they flip it i mean there's no reason why not I'm excited to see him try. I mean, look, you know me, Matt. We've been podcasting almost since the beginning. You know that I fall in love with charismatic female actresses, even if I don't know much about them, whatever their ages are, whatever the properties. But I also, you know, if I have a minor superpower, it is some of these actresses and some of these characters in terms of my podcast superpowers. And I just had an immediate feeling about Jodie Whittaker in this, in this role that it just feels so perfect. And I will say, man, you know, I really followed Comic-Con closely this year because I knew Star Wars was announcing major stuff. And, you know, I'm even following things like Haley Steinfeld in Bumblebee. Again, Transformers, not a franchise I care about, but the director is the director of fucking Travis Knight, who directed Kubo and the Two Strings, which I fucking love. And it's a lower... fantastic. It's great. And it's, you know, and Bumblebee is based on, let's be honest, the Generation 1 Star Wars. I mean, look... The problem with the Transformers isn't that they're bad. It's that Michael Bay played on our fucking nostalgia, but distorted it immediately from the beginning to an unrecognizable degree. And they're finally going back to what we grew up on. Transformers was never my favorite franchise. Yeah, I didn't watch any Transformers growing up. I have no connection to any of this shit and don't yes, care about it. But the bottom line it. is, so I don't care I just about was, Bumblebee either. Sure, fine. But the bottom line is. You put in Haley Seinfeld, Travis Knight, and, and John Cena with sort of a lower key Bumblebee uh, Transformers property. You have Aquaman, which we will talk about, but it's fascinating regardless of whether it's going to be good or not. I knew Star Wars was announcing stuff, and you know, obviously the the Clone Wars announcement blew everyone away and was the most watched video online from Comic Con. Blah 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 blah. You know, normally whatever I pick and choose on this, but Ashley Eckstein, who's the voice of Ahsoka Tano in all the Star Wars cartoon properties, who's amazing. 
has an unbelievable, like the, you know, biggest, um, well, it started as just for women and girls, a nerd clothing, attire, and, and so forth, um, called Her Universe. But now it's for, for men and boys as well, is incredibly successful. Obviously, her, her place as Ahsoka and her relationship with Disney, you know, she's got an insight with Disney, but she does stuff for DC Comics. She does stuff for all the nerd properties. But the, but, I mean, when, when Jodie Whittaker surprised uh, on the, the catwalk showing off some of the doc, you know, like uh, the Doctor Who costumes Outfit, and stuff, yeah. outfits, it blew up the fucking internet. And as you said, it was like course, all yeah. women and female podcasters and Twitter people that I followed that were like losing their minds over this shit. And so I agree right. with you. I, I, and the fact that BBC America is more accessible than ever and, and, and online, I think it's going to do great. Again, I'm not an expert at all on this particular topic, but I just have a good feeling about it. I hope it reaches the people it's supposed to reach. Well, the thing that's interesting about the character, the doctor, is every time a new actor takes over, that actor brings a new characterization to it. So really, Jodie Whittaker can do whatever she wants in her portrayal of the doctor. The Peter Capaldi character, doctor, is much slower and calmer than the David Tennant doctor, who is much more about kind of running around and getting up in people's face. And then Matt Smith's doctor, the one who came between Capaldi and Tennant, is like on – it's like he just ate two gallons of ice cream. He's like so manic. And then the Christopher Eccleston portrayal, who's the guy who came before Tennant, is slower, but just there is like this underlying just smoldering anger and sadness because he's supposed to be this – doctor who he he had to destroy his own people to end a war and he's incredibly traumatized and has Hmm. maybe a death wish on some level like almost punisher like uh not that violent but in terms of that kind of how broken he is um so jody whittaker can portray it however mm -hmm. she wants and she seems a little goofy you know, when she asks she seems um, grounded, a little motherly, sure. but also kind of a girlish curiosity. And then you combine yeah. it with a little bit more grounded uh, special effects and stuff like that. Like, it's just, it seems, I again... I call it grounded. Oh, I, but, the main but, bad guy is a robot that's shaped like a pepper shaker. Sure. And, and there's pl- going to be plenty of intentional campiness, as it should be. And, you know, obviously. But just in terms of like the filter they're using and the shots they're showing so far to someone like me who loves star Trek, but doctor who's a little far out and this might be a good bridge. This will be a good bridge for someone like me, you know? And what's interesting is I really learned about, I really got to know David Tennant as Kilgrave before going to, to the, but then talking to doctor who fans, they were like shocked when they saw Kilgrave. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially because there are aspects of the doctor's mannerisms that Tennant brought over and kind of showed how easy it would be for a character like the doctor to be horrible and still have the core of his the way he acts like the purple man or Kilgrave on a few occasions he goes well and he holds that word out mm-hmm. and extends it a little bit before mm-hmm. he starts talking right. that's a specific thing that he did as the doctor all the time hmm. and it's a little bit of a dig at not a fans to make him mad but it's kind of like yeah I'm still the doctor a little bit but now I am a sociopath uh, in terms of like the tone in Star Trek versus Doctor Who, you're going to have to see. 
Um, all I want is I feel like the Stephen Moffat era has been very visually attractive and kind of substanceless mm-hmm. in a way that Russell T. Davies felt like there were substance to a lot of the episodes. So I want some heart and some meaning back in these show in this show again. Uh, you know, the Moffat run was good for a while and then starting about three years ago started to get kind of mediocre mm-hmm. uh, and so i'm just hoping with a new showrunner and a new doctor and a new set of companions maybe we can get the quality back up a little bit because i actually think the show was not yeah. i don't think it necessarily ended mm-hmm. at, with capaldi as the best who's ever been yeah i i just i think jody whitaker is charismatic and magnetic and so it's up to the writing and the direction at this point so we'll just have to see so okay man all right i want to end with star trek and i have one other subject but i want to talk about anything else you've been watching on tv and then we'll end with with, with those w- one or two things what else you've sure. been watching right now you want to talk about good or bad well all right so the expanse uh wrapped up its third season maybe about a month ago now i am also about midway through the third book which is the same book as the the series like they play with the 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 order a little bit but basically the third season ends with the end of the third book i have actually been surprised how good an adaptation of it it is and a lot of the things that i i had some questions about like i know when we talked about the expanse i said i wasn't crazy about um alex kamal like the the indian pilot with the texan accent But in the the book, it's made explicitly clear he's from a part of Mars that was settled by Indians and Texans and the Mm -hmm. Texan accent won out. Like uh, that actor, Cass Anvar, did a great job translating that character. Wes Chatham, that's a pretty good translation of Amos. Mm -hmm. Naomi, that's a good job. Holden is good. Miller is a little bit dicier because I think when you hire Thomas Jane, you're just you're going to get Thomas Jane no matter what. But Reading all of these scenes that I've seen on TV, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who read the books first get frustrated because they think the movies don't translate it correctly. I have actually been shocked at how well translated a lot of the material in the books have been, were to the TV show. I think the TV show actually is one of the strongest pure adaptations mm-hmm. of sci-fi IP that can I've push, seen on TV in a I long push, time. Can I push? Can yeah. I push on this? A great adaptation yeah. is one thing. And by the way, I'm half I'm about halfway through the audiobook of the first Expanse book and it's excellent. Okay. But let's be honest, outside of Dune, right, there's not a lot of classic sci-fi and maybe some Scalzi where the characters are extremely memorable, including Asimov, including 2001 and all the Arthur C. Clarke books and all the space archaeology. Bo- I mean, there's so few epic sci-fi books of any era unlike fantasy where the characters are super memorable. And so my right. question is, it, 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 <laughs> a, is the translation enough from book to screen to make it compelling? But B are, are the, are the characters. And again, this is me just seeing the first two seasons of expanse. Are the, are the characters actually more compelling on the TV show? Because in general, even great sci-fi books, generally the, the characters are not super memorable. Again, as I'm off Arthur C. Clarke and so forth. They are. And I think one of the reasons that's the case is when you watch somebody act, you're not just watching them read lines or do whatever the author is making them do. You are seeing facial expressions that you might not see, you know, read with the same regularity because every time an actor has to deliver a line, they have to make choices about eye placement, head placement, voice intonation, body language, standing, staging, how 
hard they breathe, how, how they blink, all of that stuff combines over time to bring a character to life. Uh, you know, that stuff is as important as what you actually say or how well you press a button or spin a, a you know, a steering wheel. And so in some ways, the characters do feel more lifelike on TV, but these are pretty good, lively characters on the page as well. Some of that is because I think uh, the uh, Corey people, because it's two of them, mm-hmm. they've avoided... Uh, giving their characters long expository sentences. Like a lot of that, the third book has more of that than the first two. And that makes me a little nervous about the, the remaining five or six, however many are left, but generally they avoid long speeches about how things work, why things are repeating, you know, restating situations that we already know what the situation is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they, they keep the dialogue to functional stuff that explains why a character does what they do or moves the plot forward. Mm-hmm. And it's not a lot of just sitting around talking. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my complaints about Stranger in a Strange Land by Heinlein, another classic sci-fi writer, is by the second half of the book, it is just extensive series of pages of one guy saying, here's what I think. Other guy saying, here's what I think. Oh, They're yeah. both basically writers, cipher characters. And it's just long conversations. I mean, and Starship Troopers kind of becomes that in yeah. the second half. That Starship Troopers is much better. I, I, Stranger in a Strange Land is one of the most overrated books. And I can name three to four Heinlein books I've personally read that are better than Stranger in a Strange Land. But I, it doesn't invalidate your point. But that book Stranger is, is a overrated. really cool first half. But once third, he... Yeah, yeah. Or third, like once he figures out mm-hmm. what his superpowers are and mm-hmm. sort of stops being the like quiet, doesn't know what he's doing guy, mm-hmm. uh, then he becomes very boring so, and it becomes not yeah. about him. Mm-hmm. And then it gets really frustrating because so, I didn't, yeah. none of the other characters are interesting. Okay. So I really wanted to like Thomas Jane. I'm sorry. I really like Thomas Jane. I really wanted to like The Expanse. I actually like Cass Hanfar. Problem is, Matt. When I saw Sonequa Martin-Green and Shazad Latif on Star Trek Discovery, it made me forget right. about Stephen Strait and Dominique Tri- Tipper immediately. <laughs> immediately. And so I'm not saying it's not a good conversion, and I'm not even saying it's not a good show. But as uneven as Discovery was, and we're going to end on that whenever, okay. I, 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 the, the quality of the acting and writing combined, to me, is far superior in Star Trek Discovery. And that's what blew me away and got me so into it. I don't know if you agree with that. Now having sat back digested star trek discovery and now watch season three of expanse well a couple of things one star trek is not adapted from a book it was always a tv show first and foremost and so the entire foundation of the universe was designed to work best in a tv format this is why i don't particularly long for more star trek movies whether or not they're the yes the kelvin universe stuff or whatever the fuck tarantino is gonna do just really quick, I meant to say this earlier so it wouldn't come up again later because I knew it would come up and then it would come up. And this is the advantage Star Wars always have has in the movies is it starts in the movies. And, and yeah. if you want to read the comic books and the books, that's great. But it's always Star Wars always has an advantage over comic books and books being converted to movies because it started in the movies. Go ahead. Now, in terms of pure action, The Expanse has, some, has better straight-up action set pieces than anything in Discovery. Yeah. Than it's anything more what we Discovery. want on paper, right? It's more what we right. want in 2018. Well, I want different things from different shows. I don't but want you know a big I mean. spaceship yeah. battle in Doctor Who. I want quirky, funny people dropping liners and making shit up as they go along. And 
an ins- like an intentionally insane backstory that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Star Trek, I want something thoughtful and exploratory. The Expanse is of a kind with a lot of sci-fi shows that are all at, not action-driven, but mm. action is a large component of them. I don't know if Battlestar was action-driven, but there was a damn lot of action in it. I mean, a hell of a lot more than Star Trek ever has. No, you I know, guess what dark, I was saying. I guess what dark, I was dark. saying was, like, remember how hyped we were the first like six, seven episodes of Expanse season two when we were talking yep. about it. Like, it's not that we don't want great Star Trek, and again, we're going to end on this, guys. But right. but realistic, great written, gritty, but relatable, awesome near future sci fi is a genre on TV that you and I, in particular, because of our reading and our, our watching and so forth, right. love to have. And we were rooting for the Expanse to do great. And when it went away from that, the end of season two, it lost me. Although, by the way, I'm definitely going to catch up on Expanse at some point. But it got it yeah. back in season three. Yeah. Season three yeah. was very, but, very strong. It has yeah. one of the most satisfying character moments. Okay in the show, like maybe my second favorite behind home Mm -hmm. and on a purely emotional level, maybe my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the conclusion of the searching for the um, Prax's daughter. I guess if I could just jump in, I guess what I'm saying is I never thought that a series like Battlestar could be realized on television in my modern lifetime ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I, I, I knew that Star Trek could bounce back with this series like Discovery. I didn't know if they would, and I don't know right. if they can keep it up, and we'll talk about it. But I, I, yeah, I thought, whereas The Expanse is a genre, again, of that near future, gripping, right. a little bit of horror, a little bit of archaeology, oh, yeah. a little bit of science. The protomolecule yeah. is scary in the books. But I, I wanted that to come to screen, and so I was so thrilled when they were hitting on all cylinders in season two, and then Thomas Jane dies, and that storyline goes away, and then right. at least with Star Trek Discovery, we've got Mary Wiseman, we've got Jason Isaacs, we've got right. Not, we've got these really interesting, if broad, characters, you know what I mean? Whereas, no, I thought, no, Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh, excuse me. Um, whereas in The Expanse, you know, w- when the writing and the storytelling's not hitting, it's no offense to Stephen Stray and, and those characters, but they're not exactly super dynamic actors. And again, as we talked about with Blade Runner and stuff, it's what's on your face, you know, it's body language sure. and stuff. It, it, Jared Leto, as we were talking about, you know, it, like, there's a lot going on, but at least with Discovery, it was always colorful and interesting, even when the writing and storyline wasn't hitting. When The Expanse is so tight, episode right. to episode, it's like one follows the next, and, and, and the emotion is always below the surface. If the writing's not there, then the bubbling of emotion before the surface just isn't going to hit. Whereas in a book, you have so much time and space to flesh that out. Go ahead. That's true, but I think one thing I think the show's advantage is in the books, the action sequences take place over dozens or sometimes even over a hundred pages or more. And it is very hard to keep narrative suspense for that long, especially given that you can't expect readers to really read a hundred plus pages in one sitting. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are plenty who do, but I don't think authors really construct action scenes thinking that way. Um, Though certainly at the end of Reem D is there's about a 200 page shootout at a, at a camp, but that's beside the point. You know, I think the two shows offer me different things. I, the cast of the expanse was never meant to be a celebration of diversity, which is what the discovery cast is supposed to be. You know, we talked about this on our last show. 
Discovery doubles down on Gene Ronberry's idea that diversity and uh, bringing and overcoming racial, sexual, ge- geographical differences is the key to achieving utopianism. I mean, that's the idea they have latched the hardest onto. And so every character in one way or another represents that. You have Michael Burnham, a human raised by a Vulcan. You have her second in command is a fish alien. You have a transracial Vulcan basically as her, her head of security. You have two gay characters. You have somebody that we really think is, or at least I think has, is neuroatypical. You know, I really think Sylvia Tilly is on the spectrum in yes, some way. Has but I have to jump in on this because she's a redhead. But what was great okay. about Tilly is I joke about redheads being a minority. Yeah. But the way I was treated because of my hair and complexion growing up, I'm not going to say I'm minority in terms of my family and my social standing, but I was definitely made fun of a lot. And not only that, if you look at all redheads portrayal in American cinema in 70s, 80s, 90s, almost up until the modern day, they're almost always annoying, uh, nerdy, um, losers, um, like all the stereotype, more men than women, but you can totally see it and i remember being so upset at the initial portrayal of tilly but as it goes on she's such a fun and fascinating character and so and again with michael burnham i'm not thinking about the fact that she's like a you know light-skinned black woman multiracial person like she's just a great fucking character i agree that celebration of diversity but let's be honest fucking Cass anvar dominique tripper i mean uh shore agadashlu i mean there's tons of diversity in the expanse but like yeah you know and by the the way um uh in discovery doug jones's alien character is one of the only main alien characters but it it, yeah there's a robot chick too i don't know her name but or she's like a white skin and cyborg parts sure i I don't but i I don't think this is like we're star trek we're launching a new series and so we're gonna rub it in your face about diversity i I think all the actors deserved and earned their spots you know see i disagree because the first the first bad guy the, the klingon guy whose name i don't remember his whole shtick is remain Klingon, which is well, I like, hated the Klingons and and discovery. That was my least favorite part by far. Okay, but his whole message is cultural man- singularity is how you achieve yeah. perfection, and it's very. And then the second time when it turns out Jason Isaac, we're getting into spoiler territory, is the bad guy of the mirror universe. He wants to quote unquote make the empire strong mm-hmm. again. I mean, both of these characters are direct responses to Trumpian ideas about whether or not a country or a people best function when they're all the same or when they're all different. So I think the cast is deliberately uh, celebrating its diversity in the way that I don't think the Corey books or the TV show The Expanse ever intended. I don't think it's meant to be uh, like a big thing, even though the belt in the books is this polyglot language where they don't speak with a weird accent, although they sometimes do, but they speak a little bit of German and a little bit of French and a little bit of Spanish. Like it's the fact is the belt is everybody. Everybody just winds up on the belt. And so what they wind up with is this weird Mm -hmm. polyglot Creole. Um, But again, it's kind of a background idea. Whereas in Star Trek, it is the main thing. Yeah, and again, people, I'm not going to share Matt and I's full discussion about Get Out the other night. But Matt, I will, I will restate one point, which is 
I still believe the biggest problem of diversity and empowerment on this planet has to do with men and women. And so for me, Michael Burnham in name and role and portrayal is more revolutionary because of her being a woman and how she acts, behaves, and is portrayed rather than being black. That's my, my, and Michelle Yao's character and so forth. I'm never, for me, the things I, I like, with that. the things that, no, I know, I'm just, making a talking point here we disagree about like everything else with get out but no yeah. i mean well we had it, a black captain yeah. already we had cisco right we but, but, not, but growing up i never too, so and again maybe i was a fucking sheltered liberal progressive jewish kid from the east coast growing up but yeah. honestly i don't ever remember thinking about cisco specifically in terms of being a black man ever and the thing is you could you could you could put stereotypes on him you know the angry black man the blah 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 you know you could come up with stereotypes i never had that growing up and so i you know for me he was just cisco he was my favorite i loved it you know and and deep space nine nailed nailed that type of diversity i think star trek continues to nail that kind of diversity where i'm not personally thinking about it uh, ever for me i'm thinking about it constantly which is what i like i mean with Hmm. cisco There's an episode where he hallucinates that he's a writer in the 30s, and they, they it says repeatedly, we can't show your picture when we run your story because you're a Negro. I mean, that's that's yeah. like a direct quote. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the – sorry to use that word, but I mean, no, it's, it's making historical. a point about how he was looked at at the time. Yeah. But that is one of the best episodes of that whole show. Mm-hmm. I think Cisco's race was never not overt – um, yeah, no, we're, we're coming at this different angles. I'm not the colorblind guy. I, I don't think like, oh, we should be colorblind at all. He was very much a black man to me. But what I'm saying is, what I loved about his character was about the actor and the performance and the writing is, is, is what I'm getting at. Sure. Yeah. Yes, I love that he's black. Very black. I love that Michael Burnham is black. Very black. You know, and that's I like great. that she's of a cast where everybody, where we seem to be getting tons mm-hmm. of different groups represented. But I'm saying the expanse you can specifically criticize as you did up until now, Cassand uh not Cat Cassandvar? Cassandvar's yeah. character or whatever for being stereotypical. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't think it was stereotypical. I just thought it was okay. a weird thing, but I okay. thought it was a choice the show made when I read that no, literally his character in the book is a person of Indian descent with a West Texan accent. I was like, oh, well, then Cass Anvar is playing it perfectly. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, buddy. Well, this was great. I have one non-Star Trek question. I want to end on Star Trek, if that's okay with you. Okay. Okay. Non-Star Trek question, which you know is coming. Ruby Rose cast as Batwoman on the CW. I watched some Supergirl. I've heard Arrow is decent these days. I've heard Flash is decent these days. I, I really haven't had the time or patience to catch up on any of these shows. My main question is, I don't care about the fucking haters. You're not even listening to this if you are, because I curse you out online all the time. Yeah, um, I, I doubt you have uh, Do you think people. that the... I mean, Batwoman is borderline... By the way, I just want to point out something, Matt, real quick. Of the six comic book nominations for Hugo's, Right. Four are image, and only one is mainstream, and I think it's a Marvel property. So, if you guys like dark adult comic books, you should check out Modern that sounds Image. sounds about right. Because they've got some good fucking comic books. And none of them are ones I'm reading, by the way. So, they've got a lot of good shit. So, whatever. Um, but Batwoman is, is, it's not Punisher level, but it is bloody as shit. There's killing. It's bloody. She doesn't take right. prisoners. She's a lesbian. She's Jewish, by the way, which I didn't know till tonight. She's a lesbian Jew. They created in the 50s. God bless the 
DC Comics creators. Um, no, that, she is. No, she is. Look, no, no. I'm not disagreeing that she's a lesbian Jew, but Batwoman that that character is not created in the 50s. That is a new character. Maybe there was somebody else named Batwoman, but this version okay. of that character okay. is a 21st century creation. Okay forget that she's jewish there she's definitely still a lesbian and they definitely cast ruby rose who's an open lesbian to be her they look similar they've got tattoos they have a similar presence she's such a sweetheart in real life she's a great actress this was a huge get for cw my question for you matt is can cw swerve enough into darker more adult territory to realize this and would ruby given her great career choices so far have even agreed to it without some you know uh not promise, but like, you know, consideration that this would be a darker, more adult CW property. I have no idea what kind of promises she wanted about the tone of the show. I would assume she read a script and made a decision on her own about whether or not the tone was something she yeah, wanted. This to is purely speculative. This is purely spec speculative. Just your, I, yeah. Go ahead. But what I think did attract her to it is that Jeff Johns was explicit that he wanted to cast an out actress in the part. And Ruby Rose is a lesbian in real life, and she identifies as gender fluid. She is non-binary. I believe I use she because I don't know what pronoun she prefers. Ruby Rose, if you're listening, I don't know why you would be, and you want to tweet at me and tell me what pronoun you want, I will happily use it and apologize. But I believe she was born biologically female, but she calls herself gender fluid. So yeah. I think the fact that the show and the people making the show seem to want to embrace that and not shy away from that at all is probably what drew her to it. I mean, certainly she is no stranger to playing strong, fu- fairly violent action characters. I mean, she kicks a lot of ass on John Wick, too. So good. Uh, so and she good. has a ton of like attitude in it, which is really great considering her character in that is mute. So everything, all of her attitude has to be done with hand gestures and facial expressions. She won me over for life with that performance. It was spectacular. Most memorable part of that movie by far. Oh, there's a lot of stuff that's pretty memorable about that. Yeah, I that's thought the best. was that's great. The best. I, that's the best. John Wick 2, I think, is a triumph of action filmmaking. I think everything about it is fantastic. Yeah, if you like headshots, it's good. Damn right. <laughs> I prefer swords and knives, but I hear ya. The bottom line is, she's clearly talented. She's clearly dark. She grew up reading Batman, has Batman tattoos all over her. I mean, she loves the material. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she identified with with Kate Kane, uh, you know, from uh, when uh, I guess the modern Kate Kane is more 2006, and then again, yeah, there was a Kathy Kane before mm-hmm. that, but Kate Kane, yeah, was a new a new 52 production yep. or something close to it. Right. So my bigger question is though, you knowing the CW, and I don't want to go into discussion of right. what you're watching, what you like. And my my bigger question is, can a network which Let's be honest, most people are watching stuff online on DVR or, you know, so forth, not watching live, you know, that's why these CW well, No one watches sh- anything live. But- yeah, that's why these CW shows are getting much better ratings than whatever you see in the newspapers, whatever, blah, blah, blah. My question is, 
I don't think she takes on this role without it being more like Arrow season one, which I've been begging oh, for I totally and agree. praying for Arrow season one. And I cannot wait to see her with Oliver Queen. Honestly, she will make me catch up on Arrow and watch all these fucking shows to see her with Oliver, Thea, and all those characters. I, I, I'm pumped for it. I just hope they can pull it off. Yeah, I, I no, I agree. I, I think Batwoman is going to be the CW's answer to Daredevil season one, mm-hmm. or maybe even their answer to Punisher. Although Punisher gets or Jessica pretty Jones. fucking, yeah. or or Jessica Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking Punisher more in terms of gore, which is hard to do on the CW. Well, no, I just you know you know how much I worship. Kristen Ritter and Jessica Jones, but by right. incredible dissatisfaction with season two is yeah, season me, two is kind of crazy. Leaves me very open to a uh, non-traditional, you know, introduction of a, of a character like this, but also that we can get a, we can get a dark, but hilarious JJS character like Batwoman on CW. But again, it's all about the writing and, and so forth. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, I, you know, I, I've, you know how much I've been pushing Batgirl forever, and now we know there's Birds of Prey something coming along, and Margot Robbie's behind it, and you know they're going to do the uh, Cassie Kane, which is now making way more sense with Batwoman. I'm actually really right. happy that they're seeding the ground before we have ultimately, I think, and this will be my final non-Star Trek question, man, we have to get Barbara Gordon eventually, right? Am I crazy? We're probably going to get it in the movies. I mm-hmm. think we are definitely not going to get it in the Arrowverse anytime soon. I think mm-hmm. Jeff Johns has said we want to bring in the bigger properties, but we don't want to bring in the biggest names. Mm-hmm. And Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, Batman, all of that is – I don't think we're ever – Robin, especially because we're about to get Titans on C- – on, yep. um, CW Seed or, or yep. whatever the other channel WB is And the DC up. Comics streaming service is going to change a lot of this scenario, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think mm-hmm. they want to bring in one of the biggest and most well-known locations in Gotham because they're going to introduce Batwoman in a crossover episode in Gotham City, but they don't want to actually have to deal with all the bullshit of what does it mean if Batman is actually in this universe. They've already acknowledged Bruce Wayne is in this universe. They've name-dropped him. And we have... Superman show up in Supergirl in season two when he's very good. And there's a line in, I think the Nazi crossover episode where they say there's 52 versions of Supergirl and Superman. So I oh got Matt. I've uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I, I just came. I just thought of something that I thought of you a couple weeks ago and I totally forgot. And you just triggered it with Superman. I'm sorry. Okay. Having to do with Henry Cavill. Oh, it's excited. So, I went to go see, this is a total sidetrack, and then we'll finish up. I went to go see uh, Mission Impossible with my dad, because it's yeah, supposedly- Yeah, you told me you, wa- you walked out of it? Not only did I walk out, because I was with my- Now, it was near his house. I wouldn't have done this normally. I live much farther away from where we were seeing the theater. I was so bored and annoyed with the entire movie from the beginning to the end. I asked his permission, and he was very nice about it. It was towards the end. I was like, Dad, I have a long drive back. Do you mind? He's like, nah, go ahead. I don't really like it either. I just want to watch the final scene. But honestly, man, as cheesy as Henry Cavill was, they should have ridden the Henry Cavill cheese train because Mission Impossible is supposed to be cheesy. And this is why the first Mission Impossible is still the best because they embrace the cheese and it's gotten darker and darker and darker. And this felt, honestly, the Zack Snyder 
version of Mission Impossible. The music, the tone, the color filter, the the long, drawn-out, serious dialogue, no emotion. Honestly, Henry Cavill's cheesy but human uh, uh, dialogue was by far the most relatable and best part of the movie. I couldn't help think of the irony of the whole thing. I mean, like, oh my god, this is the horrible Zack Snyder version of Mission Impossible. You might Impossible. be the only person who thinks any of that stuff, both in terms of that it yeah. was a bad movie. Most Terrible. people seem to like it. Terrible. But most people that like it seem to think that Henry Cavill was the worst part of it. I generally think They're Henry Cavill bad. is not a good actor who is just very good looking. Uh, he was great in Justice League. That's just no, Whedon. he wasn't. Nothing was good in <laughs> Justice League. Justice League is a dumb movie right, that right. WB knows is dumb because they're letting Teen Titans make fun of it. Well, this is my final question on this topic, which is, I'm not happy that they're going to cast a new Supergirl for the movies. I know Supergirl, the show, is uneven, but the thought of not Melissa Benoist being Supergirl is infuriating to me. Sure. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, we'll have to see who they cast, and we'll have to see. I mean... She's the best casting this, of any of the actors, in my opinion. She's a very good casting. She embodies the character perfectly. What I told you when you told me that uh, that this was happening is mm-hmm. that I looked at the writing credits of the person making the movie, and those did not strike me as super interesting. Like, didn't they write Mortal Kombat and, and some other really, really shitty movies? So... Given how much you are one to blame bad performances on bad writing, I think whoever they get to cast Supergirl, if it's a bad portrayal, is probably going to be because the script is going to be shit. Well, I already prefer Ezra Miller to Grant Gustin, so you can crucify me. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't come back on this show ever. You're going to regret having said that. <laughs> But a more serious note, though, uh, I, I'm going to say something incredibly revolutionary here, Matt. You're not going to believe how radical this is. You ready? Sure. Marvel's going to keep kicking DC's ass. <laughs> That's really going out on I a know. Limp. It's a huge limp. Bizzlecast listeners, that you heard that here first. That is the hottest of hot takes. That's why you come to us for dynamic commentary you will never hear anywhere else ever as far as i know that marvel is better at making movies than dc and will remain so i am just shocked at your gall sir uh that's why i love you man all right buddy here we go patrick stewart coming back to star trek baby Woo! Give me your hot take on it. You texted me about it i immediately read everything i watched the interview i'm so pumped give it to me yeah i'm I don't, I'm very surprised that he wanted to mm-hmm. do this. I'm excited to see him back. I really hope it is not a show that's just a reunion of all he of the actors it. from he TNG. Because yeah. have you ever seen what like Brent Spiner looks like now? Like He's just extremely seeing this old. Whole, yeah, seeing this whole cast back together would be depressing. I'm fine with a couple of like reunions, like like guest cameos or whatever. I'd love to know what actually happened to Jordy LaForge or or whatever, but. Uh, it'd be cool to see sort of what Picard's life becomes, I would assume, after his time on the Enterprise is over. Um, I I don't necessarily even know that I want him to be a spaceship captain anymore. I I feel like he's going to be the little Logan of Star Trek, right? I mean, if that's what it feels like. Yeah, but I don't want something dystopian and violent. No, 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 no. But the, 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 the past the prime... 
you know, thinking you're going to live forever, dealing with your legacy, Starfleet's not everything you thought, you know what I mean? The federal, you know, like, I don't think it's going to be dystopian, but as we've talked about, the, d- the dark underbelly, I mean, look, a Deep Space Nine has dealt with this. Um, And one of the things I wanted to ask you on this topic, and then we'll wrap up, is the ways in which they're creating a new Star Trek universe. Look, I mean, spoiler alert, guys, the Enterprise is like jumps in at the very end of Discovery, which I was not happy about, but whatever. Yeah, it wasn't. The last two episodes were not that. Which is too bad, because the time travel thing in general was fucking awesome. That was a great arc, and then they ruined it. Well, it's not time travel, it's it's parallel universe. I'm sorry, parallel universe stuff was great, and then, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, so whatever. But the but the point being, this is in continuity with the quote unquote prime universe. Um, yeah. By the way, spoiler alert: Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth told uh, Paramount to go fuck themselves. So good for them. Yeah, because they wanted them to take a pay cut because the movie was going over budget. Right. Because those guys have no cachet in Hollywood. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Pine and, and Chris Hemsworth are really going to have a hard time getting more work. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth is arguably the best cast, even more than Robert Downey Jr. of the the Avengers, in the most just because of the impossible level of difficulty of that insane role of a horrible comic book character that makes zero sense. And Chris that. Pine made Wonder Woman palatable to Middle America with almost no sexist response to that movie whatsoever because of the great response. You know, it's like. <laughs> But but as yeah. we discussed, man, and we'll, we'll, let's talk about Patrick Stewart and Star Trek. I, it's clear they're focusing on television. Yeah, and again, that's what I want. I mm-hmm. don't even the best of the Star Trek movies. Like Wrath of Khan was a damn long time. I'm ago. on board. I'm on board with the TV thing with this. Yeah, I'm yeah. on board. Yeah, yeah. Star Trek should be. Mm-hmm. It needs slow, long explorations of ideas. That's what's always made it appealing and made it unique in genre tv or genre in general Mm -hmm. so let's keep it where it's its best Mm -hmm. you know so here's the thing man so star trek discovery was like the launching point for the cbs streaming service right yes but three things have been made known to us since then that are shocking but also really exciting a not only they renewed discovery they renewed it for like multiple seasons b Uh They keep talking about launching so many shows that you'll be able to watch new or repeats of the new shows like around the clock, basically. So it's a Game of Thrones situation. And speaking of Game of Thrones, C, we've been made to know that along with Game of Thrones and the new Favreau Star Wars universe, only Star Trek Discovery and The Crown have the budget of Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Star Trek Discovery, and so forth. And so it had a massive budget, was incredibly popular, even on a streaming service, is launching all these things, including the captain picard you and i like discovery we're critical i think of the same things do we see this coming uh in terms of the money and the popularity like in the demand it's it, it, it honestly shocked me across the board yeah i i don't i don't quite know how to answer that one uh but I, game I of thrones think- money and and ratings essentially is what we're hearing about discovery i think game of thrones if it achieves nothing else it will have taught filmmakers, or, or, or um, that's not what I'm trying to say, it will have taught TV channel executives that genre is worth investing a lot of money into. Mm. I think that's cool, because that means we're going to see some very high-budget, pretty cool-looking genre stuff on TV, uh, and a lot more of it in the coming years. Now, I hope they don't 
overload TV the way genre has overloaded blockbuster movie making. That's one of my biggest problems with like blockbuster filmmaking now is it's all genre franchise and it's it's just it's become too much it's awful but it's all i'm yep. doing a, I, I'm, I'm doing a whole podcast series on, on the state of the movie industry it's it's horrible yeah um i this would be a long discussion i ironically i feel like the same person who made one possible one thing possible made the other possible i feel like joss whedon yep. did a lot to advance genres television genres place in television but because people learned the wrong lesson from the avengers in unintentionally Whedon did a lot to actually dive bomb the, uh, the blockbuster filmmaking. That's a whole other conversation, but the thought of getting like a weekly Lord of the Rings show that looks as good as the Lord of the Rings movies does. That's pretty damn cool. Like that I'm looking forward to. It has three times the budget of the entire trilogy. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> has a billion dollar budget uh, and 300 million. They, well, that's what they paid for it. I don't know if that's how much the show will be made. The sure. budget the, will be made. On. I don't that's think how much they paid for the rights. Right. I don't think people realize that the original Lord of the Rings movies were made for about 90 million per movie. And just for comparison's sake, every Maybe. modern movie is like 250 million dollars. So each Lord of the Rings movie cost 60 or, or 30% of like the Justice League budget. Deadpool 2 costs more than the that Return of the King. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yep. Yep. Because they filmed in New Zealand and they did all at once in five years. And they just did boom, 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 boom. Yeah. But I would, I would say, man, that those special effects still hold up against almost oh, everything out there. I I still love those movies. I yeah. think they look fantastic. All right, man. Okay, so random final question because I just did a bunch of X Men podcasts. I'm really excited to get back into X Men. I'm glad the X Men's alive. I do like Apocalypse. I think Apocalypse and Future Past and First Class, which I know you like, still look spectacular. I don't understand why the X Men movies going back to X One X Two look so good that some of them look better than the modern Marvel Disney movies. I don't know what it is about the Singer Brain Trust or whatever you want to call it, but the X Men movie special effects look really, really good. Look better than the DC and Marvel uh, effects, which just goes to, again with the Lord of the Rings budget, which I just brought in. And money doesn't doesn't buy you love. It also doesn't buy you great special effects. Right. I mean. I- I don't think the X-Men movies in general look as good as the grand majority of Marvel movies. I think the special effects, there's an argument to be made there mostly because I think that they like Singer had a bit of a, like a light touch when it came to CGI. And so a lot of the special effects look stripped down, but they happen in scenes where you don't need over the top special effects. You know, you don't need massive, like, galaxy spanning portals with giant turtles flying through them to make war with their cyborg lizard soldiers. Like you just have a bright red beam. Well, it's easy to make a bright red beam look good. It's easy to make a very basic shadowy teleport effect look cool because they're not trying to do too much. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's the secret for them. Uh, didn't, I don't know that it necessarily saved the franchise from being wildly uneven in its quality, but I think maybe that's the secret to the special effects success. 
No. The final X-Men Apocalypse battle looks way better than the BVS or Captain America final battles, but whatever. We'll have to argue that another time. It doesn't matter if you like the movie better. If X-Men Apocalypse came Which out... Which Captain America? If, 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 uh, Captain America. If, if X-Men Apocalypse came out... If Batman v Superman never came out and X-Men Apocalypse came out before Civil War, it would have been much better received. It has a lot of problems, but visually it looks spectacular. And I think Dark Phoenix is going to blow people away. Um, but you know me. I'm an X-Men guy. And so... Yeah. Uh, oh, that's what we're ask you do you watch legion or any of the like x-men shows at this point no yeah, we talked about on. legion last time i was on the air i know but i i you know there's the gifted show and the uh, i've tried to watch the gifted i was mm-hmm. pretty bored with it mm-hmm. um in part because you know i've always talked about how the mutants are a perfect stand-in for whatever marginalized group you want jews. in the 60s they were black jews. people in yeah jews is you know is what i've always believed you know, the idea that one is the, assim- that Xavier is the assimilationist and uh, Magneto is the militant Zionist. Clearly in the X-Men movies, at least for the first few, it was all a gay narrative about coming out to your parents and things like that. And then with Legion, it's all about being a stand in for mentally ill and how the mentally ill are marginalized. The little bits and pieces of the gifted that I've seen doesn't seem to have a real, idea of what mutants are like what they're supposed to represent or what the idea of well, that's them how are. I thought about legion but yeah and then you know to quote a different podcast like what is the appeal of the gifted like that x-men you don't remember the name of purple hair is having a baby mm-hmm. who cares mm-hmm. uh like these are all b-list x characters none of them i i'd ever heard of well, you'll be happy to know that my buddy Reinhardt from Wesleyan, who came out to the X-Men uh, Nerd Deep Dive and is going to be like a regular X-Men contributor, uh, comic book contributor, has X-Men First Class as his favorite X-Men movie. So there you go. Um, it's the be- I think it's the best uh, that isn't Deadpool or Logan. Like of the main- I just love the new cast. I just yeah, love I the new cast. And if, if people like the new cast, then I'm glad they like the new cast. I, I love uh, First Class. That that movie took the biggest jump for me from first viewing to subsequent viewings. It's now up much higher. Mm-hmm. So, okay, man. I will we'll let you go. Final question. Any comic books you're reading these days? Like actual comic books? Um... Which ones do I think are are any good? It doesn't so, have to be like modern, like release now, like just what you're reading. Well, most of what I read is current release. So about a month and a half ago, DC finished this series called Dark Knight's Metal, mm. which was fucking bananas. It, it was a spe- I don't like Batman. It was an amazing giant multiverse crossover with Batman is the core where basically there's this whole idea that there are these secret metals floating around and the planet that if you combine them all you open a gateway to the dark multiverse where every earth is like a nightmare version and the people over there are trying to like conquer our earth and each nightmare earth has a version of batman that's a fusion with another character so like there's a guy called the red death which is a batman who straps the flash to his the hood of his batmobile and drives so fast that the flash's flesh melts onto his skin and so he becomes a speedster there's a version of him that's a fusion with cyborg called the murder machine there's a a one called i think devastator where he's basically infects himself with the 
the virus that makes doomsday and the main bad guy is called the batman who laughs who is a batman infected with the joker virus uh and it is i know it sounds really dark but it's so over the top that it's really 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 fun and it actually makes a really interesting point about how batman who we think of as the quintessential like loner alpha male actually really 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 needs the people in his life and the connections in his life to have meaning because every one of these characters these nightmare batmen is basically asking the question what would happen if you took this key character away from batman so like dev he infects himself with the uh doomsday virus because superman turns evil so what happens when you take away batman's relationship to superman he becomes the murder machine robot because alfred is killed he becomes the drowned which is like an aquaman fusion because they're gender swapped but his, his female version of like catwoman it's catman but selena kyle what if that relationship goes away what happens if you take his relationship to the Joker away and every time the conclusion is he turns into a monster? So it's a really interesting exploration of how important everybody else in Batman's life is to him. In The only thing I could compare it to is actually Lego Batman, which is also about how important relationships are. So good. Uh, Love yeah. It. <clears throat> and I really thought it was just... <sighs> fantastic it was so creative we need more rosaria dawson in our lives no, i'm ASAP. talking about dark knight's metal i really recommend everybody check it out it was really weird and really crazy and kind of everything i like about comic books and kind of a celebration of what everybody mm. likes about comic books and mm. dc doesn't always hit its current big thing doomsday clock which is a crossover with watchmen right. is only like okay but dark knight's metal was so 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 good Mm-hmm. Well, all I will say is, A, if you guys like adult comics and you care more about character development than plotting, then Image Comics is the way to go. But, Matt, I will say, man, since I've revisited with you, my Australian fans just gotten into uh, back into comics in the last few years. There is no doubt in my mind DC continues to do solo comic book series way better than Marvel. I mean... I love reading the X-Men and the newer X-Force in particular is great because I love the darker mm-hmm. stuff with Wolverine, Deadpool, Psylocke, and you and I will have to have a separate discussion about how I think, actually, <laughs> say what you will about Disney, I think they're exploring the Cable, Deadpool, Psylocke, uh, X-23 thing way more than the X-Men going forward, the rated R stuff. It's way more interesting. And, and guys like Rick Remander and Jonathan Hickman who write Uncanny X-Force, Uncanny X-Men, who work for... Uh, uh, image as well have great dark visions of the x-men and x-force going forward but whenever i read batgirl batwoman detective comics like you know the best up birds of prey like it's it's just better than than the modern x uh marvel stuff for the most part i will say so um i don't know maybe it's always been that way we've had this discussion many times about the solo characters in, in dc versus the team ups and or the teams in in and marvel and so um all right buddy well this has been great i knew we wouldn't have trouble finding topics and it was even easier than i thought so really appreciate you having uh to coming back on no problem till next time absolutely oh and really quickly do we have a timetable on on picard or any of the star trek shows or we're just i uh, don't think so no we're just waiting to see at this point okay all right 
All right. Well, maybe we will revisit. Um, I hope to have you back on before October with Doctor Who, but I definitely want to have you back on October with Doctor Who if it's good and we're interested in it, if you're into it. Sure. Cool. All right. Bring on Jody Whitaker, baby. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. All right, BizzleCast listeners, thank you for joining me. Thank you to Maddie G, as always, entertaining, super fun, and stimulating. And for now, the BizzleCast is out. Yum, yum. Oh, hey. Eat up. Yum, yum.